Well, thanks, worship team. That was wonderful. It's good to worship with everyone this morning again. It seems like we were just here. I mean, as Christmas Eve was just a couple days ago. But it's good to worship. And actually, today, we're going to turn the page, and we're going to talk about New Year's resolutions for 2022. And uh, so I hope you had a Merry Christmas and enjoyed your time with your family and with your friends and with all the food and festivities and thinking through the glory of the Incarnation and how it is that Jesus came for you and for your salvation. But I want to talk about spiritual revitalization, spiritual revitalization, because that's going to be the theme at Calvary Church for 2022. And the reason I know that is because I just announced it. (laughs) And so that will be the theme. And you know what? You may find banners around the place. You may find Maddie creating things that are highly creative that end up appearing in places. Who knows where this message of spiritual revitalization is going to show up around this church and in your life this coming year. And what I mean by it is what I read when I read in Colossians 1.29 where the Apostle Paul says that he ministers with all of Christ's energy which works so powerfully within us. And this means that we need to be encouraging one another to spiritual renewal practices. Because you notice how it doesn't work? It doesn't work by you working any harder. It doesn't work by any of us working any smarter. It doesn't come about in a church. A church doesn't get renewed and revitalized because people do more stuff. It usually happens when they stop doing stuff. And they focus on Jesus Christ. So please turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 12, verses 1 through 6. I'll read it to you. It's in your printed for you in your worship folder as well. And it goes like this. You will say to me in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will... I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And that's actually the beginning. That's the first stanza in the poem. So sometimes, you know, your editors don't do a good job in your Bibles. And so you can put a mark there. Because you'll notice it begins then, and you will say in that day. Didn't we just read that, the first verse? This is the second stanza. So you will say to me in that day, you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim that his name is exalted, sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. 
So Lord, we pray this morning that you would open our eyes to your word, that we would understand it, for our minds are not equipped to be able to handle the scriptures on their own, but we need your Holy Spirit to guide us and to apply it to our lives. And we pray for that this morning, and we pray that as we go through this passage, that you would bring to mind things in our own lives that you want to work on in this coming year, and how it is that we can become more like Christ, and how it is we can serve you more wholeheartedly. Amen. So this chapter is actually a very fitting conclusion to chapter 11, which outlines the crisis that the people of God and Judah were going through at the time, because Assyria, their enemy to the north, was invading them in the 8th century BC. But this crisis didn't just come upon the people of Judah in a moment, it's been coming on for years and for centuries because of their history of rebellion against God. And it was their present situation of not trusting in God that brings the situation to a head. Now, we're not in that situation that Judah was in at the time, and nor do we as a people here have a history of rebellion against God, unless you happen to know something very personal about yourself. If that's the case, then this is a really good day for you to repent. Because I know that in churches, there's always one. And if I find you, you're going out that door very fast. Rebellion is not tolerated. So if you are a rebellious person, maybe today is the day that you can repent and actually be forgiven. Nevertheless, this passage of Isaiah declares a time of great hope for renewal amongst the people of God. I'm going to give you a brief history of the book of Isaiah. Maybe you're not too familiar with this book of prophecy, but this is how it begins in chapter 1. Come now, the Lord says, let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are as red like crimson, they shall be like wool. What kind of a God offers that to a rebellious people? What a glorious and merciful offer. And then chapter 2 gives us the first glimpse at the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who would come in all of His glory to redeem and then to reign with power from on high. And then there's the famous promise of the incarnation of the Son of God that we read about in chapter 7, the passage we know so well this time of year, that says, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Chapters 8 and 9 continue talking about Jesus being the hope of the nations. Isaiah 9, chapter 2 and verse 6 says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them the light has shined. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Chapter 11 then marks out in bold terms the spiritual and physical power of the Messiah and the final judgment. And if you've never read Isaiah chapter 11 before, you will be absolutely stunned. And then we get to chapter 12, and there's the celebrating of all of this spiritual renewal and promising it to us in abundance 
The words of Isaiah 12 actually read like they're a psalm, and you know why? It's because they borrow from the psalms. It takes us back to the book of Exodus because it borrows from Moses' words when they crossed the Red Sea. And so this morning we're going to learn that God Himself is our Savior, and He's also our constant source of renewal. And the prophet Isaiah explains true, deep, lasting, spiritual renewal works like this. It's very simple. The outline is in verses 1 through 3. When we drink water from the wells of salvation, well then in verses 4 to 6, we will shout and sing for joy, spiritually renewed. That's the only formula. A lot of people publish books on formulas. Throw them away. Here's the formula for you. It's when you drink deeply from the waters of salvation in the Scriptures, then your soul will be renewed. That's how it works. And so the original context that you need to understand is that Yahweh has decreed a complete destruction for Jerusalem. You will not change His mind. The rebellion has gone on too long, and it will not go on any longer. But God has promised that he would keep a remnant, he would purify their hearts for himself, he would prepare them, he would send them into exile, he would bring them back, prepare them for the coming of his Messiah, Jesus Christ. That's the historical plan. And that plan was set. And only the truly penitent who would give up trusting in themselves and in their political allies are the ones that would receive mercy from the Lord. So here's the promise. Think about what you want for your own spiritual life for 2022. Do you want anything different? Do you want anything more? So if we look in this passage, there, it's very obvious there are two sections, verses 1 to 3 and 4 to 6. And, and, verse, and the first, verses 1 and 2 are actually a speech that the people of God give, and then verse 3 is the prophet commenting on the speech. And it's the same thing in the second stanza. This is poetry. It's the easiest form of language ever written. And in verses 4 and 5, you see the people give another speech. And then in verse 6, you see the prophet make a comment on the speech. And so in verses 1 through 3, at the beginning, in verses 1 and 2, God is our personal Savior. And then in verse 3, the prophet comments, He's water for our soul. And so we read, you will say to me in that day, because they're not saying that now. Historically, in the book of Isaiah, they've abandoned him. They've already built their own cisterns, as the prophet Jeremiah would later say. And they don't hold any water. They've forsaken him. But in that day, you will say, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. The, that day is referring to the day of the Messiah and what it would feel like to the people of God to actually see Him walk upon the earth. A new redemption is coming that would fulfill the past exodus, far surpass the promise of the exodus for the future. It would far surpass the promise of just a return from the exile. It would be the coming of the Christ. And the words of the people in that day, which isn't come yet, are put by the prophet through the Holy Spirit in the mouth of these people and his day. And so they're put in our mouths to be spoken 
Certainly, there would be even more at the coming second coming of Christ as we look forward to the final day. But Isaiah 12 here is focusing our attention directly on when the Messiah comes and his first coming. But did you know that's how prophecy works in the Bible? It is progressive fulfillment. And we see it fulfilled over and over and over again. And it all focuses on only one person, and that's Jesus Christ and his eternal glory. That's how prophecy works. So it takes a lot of work to figure it out. The people are described here at the beginning in verse 1 with a singular you in the Hebrew, emphasizing that they will be praising God together as if they were one man, one people, one voice is how they would praise him. Then it will change to the second person, you, and the address to them, the plural in verses 3 and 4, and that emphasizes the personal experience that each and every person is going to have. Both experiences with God are so important throughout our lives, and hopefully we've all already learned that in our lives, that we have to worship together. You have to be in church, here to worship with the people of God. And you have to worship Him in your house, by yourself. You have to be with Him because worship is a personal experience and a corporate experience. And then we see that thanks is given to Yahweh for what's going to be coming from Him. His holy wrath, His most proper anger against sin, our sin is going to be turned away. And yes, God is a wrathful God, and don't let anyone tell you any differently, and don't let your mind trick you into thinking that He's not. It's not that God is going to be done raging over some personal offense, like some arbitrary human being who's just going to eventually get over it. No, this is the just and righteous wrath of a holy one who will deal justly with our sin. And that's good to know because when our comfort comes, then we know that our comfort's not just fleeting. That our comfort is true and everlasting because Christ Jesus paid it all. It's a thankfulness of forgiveness of sin that's being spoken about here. Well, the people have experienced Passovers for centuries. They recently have not been paying attention. The sacrificial system is in front of their face every single day. But for some reason, they want to trust in a different God. But they all testify to the atonement that we need from God for our sin. And that would come about when Jesus Christ, the perfect one, the sinless one, who had no sin of his own to die for, would die for the sins of his people, for the many, as the prophet would later tell us. He would die for us, and he would offer up himself as a complete atonement for our sins. This is the day of the Messiah that he would bring in. He's talking about here for forgiveness and comfort. Isaiah doesn't detail it right here, because this is still part of the introduction to the book. It's a very long introduction. It's a very long book. Chapters 40 to 55 will detail all that. And you remember how chapter 40 begins? It begins, it's, a fulfilled, it's like it picks off from chapter 12, and it says, Comfort, comfort my people, says my God. 
And the clearest statement is found in the fourth servant song, which we looked at during our Advent series in Isaiah 53, 5, when it says, But he who was wounded for our transgressions, he who was crushed for our iniquities, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. Be thankful that Isaiah wants you to be thankful for being forgiven by God in Christ and enjoy the comfort of knowing the forgiveness of your sins. And then verse 2 begins, Behold, and the announcement from God Himself, salvation comes to each of us personally. God personally authored our salvation in His eternal counsel and caused it to come to pass in time when He chose to save you in your life, whether that was as an early child or whether He chose to let you live in your sin to see the power of His glory when He determined to save you. Because His choice to save you was made in eternity past. He chose some among the mass of perishing humanity upon whom He would favor with His grace. And if that is you, you ought to be eternally grateful. And our faith and our trust from our salvation should drive away all fears in life and death. God has personally seen to our salvation. Is that how we speak, I wonder? God is my salvation. I will trust and I will not be afraid. For I, the Lord God, is my strength and my song. And it's become my salvation. The spiritual salvation takes priority over, over every other salvation and deliverance that we want in our lives and we look for and we hope for. And we must stake all of our life on this one because the rest won't last you. The people of Judah's time, you know who they were trusting in? There was this great king. Let's say he was a president. And his name was Ahaz. Oh, what a smart dude he was. He made all these alliances with all these other political entities around him, thinking, oh, if we can all get together, maybe we can, we can ward off Assyria. That will be our hope. And the people were so stupid that they believed him. And they failed. That was only one episode in the way they really lived their whole life. And isn't it sad to observe Christians in our country who live their whole lives thinking that their salvation comes from some human being? One commentator put it this way, whenever Israel focuses primarily upon her needs, she's in difficulty, for supply of those needs becomes the ultimate goal, and all else, including the sovereign of the universe, becomes but a means to that end. This attitude is a sure prescription for spiritual disaster. How do we trust God? How do we view Him? What do you think his role is in your life? We're to put our trust in God and our hope in God alone, trusting in his wisdom and his power and in his goodness. These verses in verse 2, you know, you've already heard them before if you've read your Bible because it's a quote from Moses. It's a quote from Exodus 15. 
It recalls God's salvation at the Exodus, and that was just one event, and it's, event that's, it's an event that's repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly referenced in the Bible as a way of looking forward to the ultimate salvation that would come in Jesus Christ. It's the archetype of our salvation. And even here, the Yah, Yahweh is what it says here, points to the Christ beyond the Exodus denoting a more personal salvation than would come with the very incarnation of the Son of God, and He would rescue us and be our everything. That's Christmas. My strength and my song, it says He is, and we need both God's power and joy in our lives, and we receive them by abandoning every other strength and every other joy, and trusting alone in Jesus Christ. Make that your goal for 2022. Literally, it says here in verse 2, He has become to me for salvation. God has taken on this role to be our Savior, our personal Savior for each one of us. You see, on that day, those people would say that, and we have said it, and the prophet then comments in verse 3, and he says, with joy, you individually, will draw water from the wells of salvation. What a beautiful picture of our personal salvation, of God's constant supply for us. Have you ever noticed that sometimes life's a desert? Maybe you're not living in the desert right now, but you've been there before. Some of us have lived in a real desert, and we're glad we left. Living in a desert is not a fun place to live because you know you need water, a lot of water. It's our greatest need, and it's our joy then to drink water and to drink from God's salvation because He's an inexhaustible supply. He's always there. It's always constant. It's always reliable. Did you know that throughout Scripture, water is the symbol for salvation? It symbolizes spiritual blessings in our lives. The Exodus experience, I mean, if anything that it showed, it showed that time and time again. How many times do the people have to complain? Oh, they were thirsty for water. But God was their real supply, their constant supplier in the midst of their constant complaining. And the New Testament makes it very clear in 1 Corinthians 10 that you know who they drank from? They drank from Christ. That's where the faithful got their strength. The psalmist uses water over and over again. Isaiah is going to use it again and again, more and more about salvation and spiritual blessings. The book of Revelation speaks about the springs of the waters of life, describing the new heavens and the new earth, and it's going to supersede Eden. Thank God we're not going back to Eden. We're going to the new heavens and the new earth. But perhaps the most noteworthy words come from Jesus himself when he said in John 4, but whoever drinks the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So my friends, keep drinking. Jesus said in John chapter 7, 37, as we read on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. 
Whoever believes in me, as the Scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who had believed in him were yet to receive, for the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus has not yet been glorified. Well, Jesus has been glorified, and he's given his Spirit to his church. And the call to us is to drink deeply from the wells of salvation. There's another commentator put it, the God who saves continues to minister salvation to his people as an ever-available reality to enjoy. You see, that's how you drink. He's an ever-available reality to enjoy. So linger over these words in verses 1 through 3. Linger over them in their fulfillment in Christ and what they mean to you personally. God himself is our Savior, but he's also our constant source of renewal. I want to explain to you what it means to linger over Scripture. What it does not mean is that you read through your Bible in a year and you check off the list. That's what it doesn't mean. Let me show you. Let me check mine for a minute. Yeah, the last time I checked the box was October 20. Oh my gosh, what a sinful person. Let me see here just a second. Oh, let's see. Ah, but there's a box I can check that says mark all red till today. Oh, let me do that. Yeah. Oh, I'm so much more spiritual feeling now because I'm all caught up. Throw your lists away. That's not what lingering means. Lingering means you think. Lingering means that you pray. It means that you study. It means that you repent as necessary. It means that you spend as much time as necessary in the word that is before you that day. You're going for quality and depth. You're not going for quantity and box checking. Who cares about that? So make that your New Year's resolution, that you would actually linger over Scripture. If you need the box checking, fine, have a fun time. Then we go on to drinking water from the wells of salvation, and we will shout and sing for joy when we do that. That's what the second stanza is telling us. That's our goal, our spiritual renewal, our spiritual revitalization. Well, it only comes from drinking deeply from the waters of salvation. And we'll gain, as we see in verses 4 and 5, a new, stronger conviction about God, and in verse 6, a renewed recognition of who He is. And so we begin to read in verse 5, and you will say in that day, the same thing, the same day, the same people, the same you and me, you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord, call upon His name, make known His deeds among the peoples, proclaim that His name is exalted, sing praises to the Lord, for He has done gloriously, let this be made known in all the earth. And the Isaiah himself comments, shout and sing for joy, O inhabitants of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. So we gain this new, stronger conviction about God if we drink deeply of our wells of salvation. Now, as this begins in verse 4, and it says, give thanks to the Lord and call upon His name, make known His deeds among the peoples, that should remind you of something. This is a quotation from Psalm 
105, verse 1. Well, if you read the whole psalm, surprise, surprise. The whole psalm again recounts the whole experience of the exodus from Egypt and the glorious promises that await. Did you know that that's how the Bible is written? It's thoroughly interconnected. And I would encourage you to don't worry about finishing your chapter. Follow the trails. Because if you follow those trails to other parts of Scripture, you will learn things that you have never seen before in Scripture. That's how God wrote His Word. And the excitement from all these different periods of the history of redemption, they're all surpassed by the coming of Jesus Christ, the promised one. And then these four imperatives that are listed there that that are spoken will become true of us, we'll be eager to do them and eager to tell other people, we'll give thanks to Yahweh as the one and only true God. We will call upon Him as our Savior, knowing Him intimately as the one Jesus Christ. We'll make known His deeds and interpret them for the people's Because God acts openly in this world. Do you realize that? God does not act in this world as if it's hidden. He acts out in the open. And it's up to the people of God to explain to people what He's doing in this world. I remember one particular day, I was stuck on a ski lift that stopped. Oh, there was no snow underneath. I was in the middle of East Asia. For some reason, I thought it was a good idea to go up there and visit some stupid Buddhist temple. But they told me it was pretty. Anyway, so I'm coming down this mountain on a ski lift, and it stops. I'm stuck with somebody, this teenage, well, this college-age girl sitting next to me. And in this part of the world, these types of things happen, so you'll just have to trust me when I tell you the story, because it's true. And she says to me, she says, you know, I had this dream. Could you interpret it for me? So I'm thinking to myself, well, my name is Daniel. (laughs) So I guess I can give it a try. So, of course, I just say, well, yeah, tell me your dream. And all the while, I'm just praying, Lord, give me something from Scripture to speak to this girl. And she tells me her dream. I don't remember what it is. I wrote it in a blog so you can go read it somewhere, what she told me. But she told me this story, and God brought to my ah, that reminds me of a Bible story. So I just, I'm not going to claim I know how to interpret dreams, that's for sure. I might fall off the chairlift, uh, get pushed by God or something. And so I just said, I'm not sure if this is what your dream means. But what you told me really reminds me of this story that is in the Bible. Can I tell you the story? And then I told her the story. Well, apparently I interpreted her dream because she was so excited. She says, can I tell you another dream? (laughs) Meanwhile, I'm hoping, when is this ski lift going to start? Because I saw the rescue equipment. I don't want to be rescued. So I just want to go down. So again, she tells me another dream and pray the same thing. Lord, just give me something from the Word to share. And she tells me this long dream. And it reminded me of another Bible story. And I said, well... Again, I'm no interpreter of dreams, but this reminds me of a story that I read in the Bible. Maybe it will help you. And then I told her the story again. Of course, all the stories are from the New Testament and speak about Jesus Christ. But the point is, here's a person wondering 
what events mean in the world, what events in her life mean. And here's an opportunity to speak to the person and help them understand what God is doing out in the open. Then fourth, we will proclaim the excellency of his name, his being, and his glory. You know, what we have now, you see, if we drink deeply of the waters of salvation, is we have a deeper conviction for God. So when those opportunities come, they don't terrify us. They're like, yes, we're chomping at the bit for the opportunity to speak to people about what God is doing in this world. Another commentator spells out our task for us, reflecting on this passage in Isaiah, and says, Exalted is the name of God, for He Himself is the High and Holy One. Men forget that His name is exalted, for they do not magnify Him in their hearts. They live as though He were not. The task of the church is to cause men to remember that His name is exalted. Therefore, the church does not exist to give the opinions of men. Don't go to those churches. The church does not exist to teach that all religions are equally good. Lie from the pit of hell. Jesus Christ is the only way. Every other religion is demon-sponsored and made up by the minds of men. The church is not supposed to beg men to unite with her. Don't beg people to come to church. Like, I don't care if they show up on Sunday morning. We shouldn't be spending so much time with our friends and family. Oh, of course we spend time with friends and family. But I know some of you are in this church building more than I am. The people who need Jesus are not in this room. The people who need Jesus are out there. And you should go spend time with them. Sit with them. Take them out to eat. Hang out with them and skip some church duty. That's what we should be doing. And we will learn that next week as we begin Luke chapter 7 and we continue. What the church is not supposed to do is to beg people to join. Her one supreme task, Ed Young continues, is to cause men to remember that the name of God is exalted. That's our task. Verse 5 continues, sing praises to the Lord, for He has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. This is a quotation again from the song of Moses in Exodus 15. So guess what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to read Exodus 15 when you get home, because that's what's on the mind of the prophet Isaiah. And he looks here for greater deliverance to be announced, and he's going to do it in chapters 40 through 66. That was our Advent series. There's going to be a whole new set of events coming that are going to far surpass Exodus history. And the this, you can underline the this in what I gave you in your worship folder, the this that is to be made known to the world, that's the identity of our Lord Jesus Christ and His work on the cross and in His resurrection. That's the this. But you won't know that unless you read the rest of the book of Isaiah. But that's who he's talking about. What a complete conquest. What a greater redemption. What an amazing salvation. 
I mean, this content of our song of praise to God, Yahweh, that He's the mighty one, the glorious one, that's what we're supposed to be telling people. And then the prophet himself says, Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitants of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel, in verse 6. Isaiah the prophet calls upon us to sing and shout for joy, recognizing that the Holy One is great in our midst. Now, Yahweh resided in glory like no other place ever when He inhabited the temple. Temple is gone. He resides in His church, His people Himself. The New Testament is abundantly clear that that's where He resides. Ephesians chapter 2, 2 Corinthians 6. God, by His Holy Spirit, resides in His church. The church is His temple. He's present with us. He's powerfully present with us together and personally. And this designation that God is the Holy One, Isaiah loves to use that phrase. He uses it 26 times in the book of Isaiah. The Holy One. Because it's a summary of all of His attributes. If you start trying to list all of His attributes... If you want to try, you should read the book on the attributes of God by Stephen Sharnock. Uh, there are many attributes. That's the book. But this is the summary of all of his attributes. The main thing that we should be impressed upon during times of spiritual renewal is God's holiness. In fact, that's an indicator. If you want to know if you're undergoing spiritual renewal, your mind will be filled with the holiness of God and his holy otherness and how you are not. That will be the main thing that you will be impressed upon, and you'll stand there drinking that spiritual water from the spiritual well, and you'll be awed by His holiness, and what a privilege it is that He lets you stand so close to Him and drink water from the well of salvation. When we drink water from the wells of salvation, then we'll sing and shout for joy as the book of Isaiah says, and we will be spiritually renewed. You know, there are two problems that I've noticed among Christians. Some people, they just drink to remove, they just drink to remove some spiritual dryness that's sort of, you know, stuck in the back of their throat, and they just need a little sip of water. Hopefully you drink enough to replenish all of your systems and not just Get rid of that dryness in your throat because you're going to be thirsty again. You know how it goes. People say, well, I go to a Bible study on Tuesdays. And that's it. Another problem people have is they don't drink enough to keep themselves really alive spiritually. I mean, just barely alive. And you sometimes wonder as you meet them, are they even a Christian? Do they have the joy of the Holy Spirit in their lives? Because it's like they think they need to ration their water. When Jesus said it will flow abundantly like a river. But we need to be drinking enough to spiritually thrive and to have all the energy we need. And besides, you're only going to keep yourself in a constant state of dehydration and need if you only drink enough to just barely stay spiritually alive. You know how this goes? Well, at least I go to church on Sunday, and I hope that the preacher gives me something good to help me throughout the week. 
That's those people. Don't be those people. Drink deeply of the wells of salvation. Stay spiritually revitalized. Drink all you want. Drink daily. Drink repeatedly. Drink from the Word of God and prayer and time to linger over Scripture. Drink from God Himself. He's our Savior and a constant source of renewal. It is not our spiritual activities. You are not going to get filled up in your soul by doing more things. You're only going to get filled in your soul by spending time with God. Our holy triune God is the deep well of salvation's benefits, and His Word is the water to be drinking, and then He Himself will be renewing us. You see, prayer is involved. Prayer is joyfully reading the Bible, prayerfully, that's drawing the water to, the, to your lips, to, the, to, your, to the soul, to your soul and your lips. But meditation is drinking into that water until you feel it go down into your soul. Prayer is just bringing the word close, and then meditating is actually swallowing it and drinking it deeply. And you know what meditation involves? Meditation literally means murmuring. It means repeating the words. It means speaking the scripture to yourself. It means thinking while you're reading. It means memorizing scripture. And don't give me the excuse you're too old to memorize. That's a lie. Anybody can memorize scripture. You memorize your social security number, you can memorize scripture. Okay? So you can scripture, you memorize it, and you apply it to your soul. That's what meditation means. So many problems come into our lives and they stay there and they even grow just because we won't drink with satisfaction from the springs of water that are in front of us. And we live in fear and we live in anxiety and we develop sins in our lives and we sin against other people and we search out solutions to try to manage all that. And the prophet Jeremiah would speak to people much later than Isaiah because they were so far gone. And he would say to them in chapter 2, you have forsaken the living God and you have built for yourself cisterns that can hold no water. In our own strength and wisdom, you'll find, try it, be my guest. You'll find that you do not have the wisdom, you do not have the strength, you do not have what it takes to live your life. So plan something special for 2022. Maybe you're doing really well. That's great. But maybe there's a new way that you could read the Bible. Maybe there's a good book on biblical theology that you could read. Maybe there's a new pattern that you could add to your prayer and structure the way you spend time with the Lord. Maybe you could add variety to your times of worship. Find a way. Find a way to God Himself as your Savior and your source of constant renewal. And then once you find that way, tell me the story. Tell someone in this congregation the story of how you found God in a new way. Tell someone who doesn't even care about God how you found God in a new way. Because you never know. Maybe they're interested. Oh, also, it's very important. We can't be renewed by observing the spiritual joy of another person. 
we each need to drink ourselves and experience God ourselves. We can't replace personal discovery about hearing about other people's excitement about God. We each have to find our own convictions about God from His Word and meeting with Him ourselves. And you may think, well, that, I mean, that's silly. Who would do that? But be wise and be careful because it happens. It sneaks up on us. It really does. It sneaks up on us at times, and we can just get caught up in what other people tell us about other people's experiences with God, so much so that we can actually come to the conclusion, a mistaken conclusion, that that was me, that I had that experience. But you didn't. Someone else did. So make sure you spend time with the Lord. Let me pray for us. Lord God, we thank you for this another new year that you've given us in 2022, and we look forward to what you're going to do in our lives, and we ask that you would give us some new plans, that you would just drive us to drink deeply from the wells of salvation, that you would cause us and that you would show us renewal, something maybe that we hear of as a concept, but maybe we've not experienced ever or in a long time, or maybe it was just last year, but it's still been long enough, and we need more. And so, Lord, I ask that you would show us renewal, that you would cause us to be renewed. We thank you that you've given us this rich salvation in Christ, and by rich, we mean there are so many more blessings to receive than we've already received. We thank you that we live at this time in the history of redemption, well, we're not just told in these shadowy terms that we read in Isaiah 12 or Exodus 15 or Psalm 105 or in whatever it is we're reading in the Old Testament, which are only shadows of the true light coming into the world, but that we live in the time of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and His ascension into heaven and granting the Holy Spirit to us, just looking forward to His day to come back. We pray that you would fill us with strength and joy to live this out to declare to everyone around us, to declare to you our worship in new ways this year, and to declare to everyone around us the mission of Jesus Christ, the gospel of salvation for our souls. And we pray this, Lord Jesus, for your sake and your benefit at Calvary. Amen.